psalmist who said, Blessed be the God who loadeth us daily with benefits. Amen. Boy, we are a blessed people, aren't we? Great singing this morning. Take your Bibles, First Peter chapter number 1 is where we'll be, Lord willing. We'll see what the Lord has for us today. I got some good news. You're talking about the blessings of God. This is important stuff before we get all theological and spiritual this morning. Fred Ducky is back. He's still on my desk in there. I forgot to bring him out, but we found him. Amen. He's been returned, and I did not wear Carolina blue. I do not cave to tarp terrorists. Amen. So, <laughs> Monty said I should just ask him. He walked right over here and fell right behind that speaker right there. Right there, right there. Anyway, he never was ransomed to begin with. I'm telling you, there's some plots. There's some false teachers out there that you've got to be aware of. <laughs> Making some false statements. First Peter chapter number 1. Boy, we serve a good God. How many of y'all agree with that? And we've certainly been blessed. And today we're going to look at, as we continue here in our series through First Peter, we're going, to, we're going to look at simply what I call this, the, the whole series is this, encouraging promises in a discouraging world, because we certainly live in a, in a discouraging world. We get our eyes on things other than Christ, and I'm going to tell you, we get them on circumstances, and it don't take long to get discouraged. Yeah, can I get an amen there? Let's just keep them on the Christ and uh, uh, that's above the circumstances, amen? And and as we as we started this series, uh, we, we looked at last week, uh, I guess, message one. We made it all of one verse. Amen. We're, we're rolling. <laughs> we'll be done before the Lord comes back. We won't make it but one verse again today. My prayer is this, that I don't get so bogged down that it's not helpful and applicable. But there's some truths in this verse we just need to get straight. Amen. And I don't know of any way to do it but to sit in it just a little longer. Because we talk about the false teachers of the, the red duck, <laughs> those that accuse them. There's some false teachers really in this world too that like to hijack things and take verses and pull them completely out of context, redefine words and so forth. So today, with Lord's help, we're going we're gonna to get through this verse. But, but the verse also is this. It's an encouraging verse as we... As we sit here and we think about the, the God and how blessed we are, the song they just sing, and how blessed we've been, the verse really focuses in and highlights the goodness of God, the God of our salvation. With the Lord's help, that's what I'm going to be preaching on today, the God of our salvation. Just as a reminder to get you caught up, if you weren't here last week, uh, the, the book of First Peter is written in a time, and one of the earlier books of, uh, of the New Testament, it's written in a time where, where there was persecution going on, around 64 A.D., and written by a man named Peter. And I, I told you last week, that gives me encouragement right there to know that a man by the name of Little Rock, a man by the name of, uh, of Peter, Cephas, uh, Simon Barjona, all these names he's given in the Bible, and uh, a man that, like Peter that, that so often uh, would open his mouth and insert both feet and many of us have done that right a man like peter that would that would that, that would say lord i'll never deny you then denying three times a man like peter that that that, yeah, that got out of the boat and we always focus on the side where he took his eyes off jesus and floated but don't ever forget he got out of the boat amen how many of you would have even done that and, and a man like peter that we uh, preachers usually emphasize their failure his failure but i want to tell you what that same peter that messed up many many times that same little rock became the same Peter who stood up on the day of Pentecost and 3,000 souls got saved. An unlearned fisherman. Yeah, that name Peter gives me hope because, because I'm telling you, if Peter can use some, if God can use somebody like Peter, he can use somebody like us. And, and I'm thankful for that. And, and we talked about last week the plight, not only the penmen there, but the plight of the people, how they were scattered abroad and persecution had come. And 64 AD, Nero had, Nero had set his own city of Rome on fire. And then he, he tried to blame it on the Christians so that he could then have Christians who wouldn't worship him that were worshiping the true God. By the way, there was only one true God. Amen. His name's Jesus. And so he, he, he wanted them persecuted. Then he had the right to bring them in the Colosseum. He fed them to lions and, and wild dogs. And for sport, he had them killed. He had them burned at stakes. And he, he set up this whole fire to make that happen. You say, there's really evil people like that in the world. You better mark it down. They're all over the place. And here we are, the church, the church. 
the, the Jews and Gentiles were dispersed and they were all over in all these different towns. They were underground hiding because of persecution. They were suffering during this time. And that's, what this, that's the context this book's written in. But the whole purpose of the book is simply this, to give people hope. Amen. That, that even though trials will come and suffering's going to come and, and, and tribulation's going to come, there is hope in Jesus. And he tells us, and we ended last week with simply this, he reminded us that this world is not our home. He called us strangers in verse number 1. He said, listen, you're a stranger, you're a foreigner, you're an alien on this earth. Your citizenship's in another country. It is in a place called heaven, and so is yours if you know Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior. And if you're a Christian, can I tell you, today, the world we're living in today is the bad they'll get. There's a better day coming. But if you're not a Christian, you've never repented and believed the gospel, this is as good as it gets. You better enjoy it because you won't like the rest of your eternity. I'm for you. Turn and put your trust in Christ before it's too late. And then we get to verse 2, and that's where we'll be today. And he tells us in verse 2 how we became these strangers, these foreigners, these aliens, these pilgrims in this land called earth, how our citizenship changed from earth to heaven, how we got saved. And with God's help, that's what I want to preach on today. The God of our salvation. Again, it's going to be pretty. Y'all get your, get your listening ears on, all right? I'm going to make it as applicable as I can, but this is pretty doctrinal, but it's foundational doctrinal because this false teaching that are taking words, Bible words, redefining them has, I mean, it is everywhere in churches today. I want you to know what they really mean, what God really meant, and I want you to understand the God of our salvation. If you'd stand, we'll read just two verses today. We'll see where God takes us. The Bible says this, reading again 1 Peter chapter 1, we'll read verse 1 one more time, get the context from last week, but Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers, the foreigners, the pilgrims, the aliens in a foreign land, scattered, why were they scattered? Persecution, we just talked about it, throughout Pontus and Galatia and Cappadocia and Asia and Bithynia. Then he goes into verse 2 and he says some big words, I mean these are, these are words that people want to run from today, they're good Bible words, don't so that's usual, maybe. And he says, verse 2, Elect, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto the obedience and a sprinkling of blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you, and peace be multiplied. Father, for the next few moments, would you help me? Particularly today, Lord, not only to preach with power, but Lord, to be clear today. Lord, this is a passage that many consider tough. This is a passage, Lord, that people could pick up commentaries and, and get all out and left field on. But Lord, your words just mean what they mean. And no reason not to study what they mean and just stand on what they mean. Would you help us to clearly see, Lord, this process of salvation, the plan of salvation, and most importantly, the God of our salvation today. Father, help us understand what it means to be a stranger because you're telling us how it happened here. And you're reminding us that no matter how bad the world gets, persecution comes, suffering comes, trials come, that this truth is good. This truth belongs to us if we know Christ as our Savior. Bless now the teaching and the preaching of the Word of God, I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for standing. As we get to looking here, we I called it simply, I changed the name about 15 times. I got red markings all over my paper. But uh, I ended up with this. The God of our salvation. The God of our salvation. As I read verse 2 here, I want you to see that all three parts of the Godhead are part of our salvation. Do you see them all listed there? Elect according to the four nights of God the Father through the sanctification of the Spirit and to the obedience and the sprinkling of Jesus Christ. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are all listed in this verse and all are part of the God of our salvation. Let's look at it quickly this morning together. First, I, I wrote this down. God the Father planned our salvation. 
God the Father planned our salvation. Uh, one, one guy wrote it this way. He says he thought it. <laughs> I thought that was pretty good. Look what it says, verse 1. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Now, there's some big words there. Again, don't let election and don't let foreknowledge scare you. Let's understand what they mean. The, the, the Calvinists have hijacked these words and they've turned them into uh, to, to things that, that the Bible really didn't mean them to say. And, and first, so let's look at it briefly today. The, the first word is simply this, the word elect. And here's what it means. It simply means selected or chosen. Selected or chosen. Now, it does not mean that God selected or chose individuals, we'll cover that here in a moment, but individuals to be saved and some individuals to go to hell. That's what they teach. How many of you believe in whosoever will? Uh, you can't believe in both, amen? Uh, they, they'll teach you. Listen listen to me. It's all over the place today. Half the guys you, you probably read after believe this. They'll teach you that God's pre-selected, predetermined, uh, and the elect are the individuals that He chose that are going to heaven. And then if you're not the elect, it's individuals that He chose, and you have no choice in the matter. God's already preordained it to go to hell. They don't like to say that last part, but if the first one's true, the second one's true. That is not elect in the Bible. It is, does, the word does mean chosen. It does mean, uh, it does indeed mean selected, but it doesn't mean individuals. Can I just tell you this? God gave us a free will. Amen? He didn't, God didn't choose just a select few. He, he, this is the belief. Listen to me carefully. You say, you don't call out names, though. I'm preaching, you're not. Amen? I'm going to call out some names. This is the belief of Reformed theology. If you get a book and it says Reformed anything on it, here's what you need to do. You need to reform that book by throwing it in the nearest fire. Somebody say amen. Now, if you get a book, if you get a book, that, by the way, this is what our brothers and sisters Presbyterians believe. Okay? Now, just so you know. I just want you to know, not everybody believes the same. Amen? And this, this is, you got quiet on me there. I'm just telling you the truth. Amen? By the way, this is what most of our Southern Baptists now believe because it's coming out of the seminaries. The cemeteries would have become exactly right. Many independents. This is happening all over the land. If you get a book, let me just give you some. If you get a book by somebody by the name of John Calvin, R.C. Sproul, Arthur Pink, and yes, even John MacArthur. Oh, don't talk about him. You do what you want. Your own, your own free spirit. Amen. You get your rights and all that wonderful stuff. We're in America, as my son would say, right? <laughs> I'll tell you what I'd do with them. I'd plan my next outdoor barbecue with them. Amen. Nobody became a hyper-Calvinist by reading the Bible. John Calvin didn't even subscribe to what he believes by reading the Bible. He read after a man named Augustine, one of the founders of the Roman Catholic Church. You won't get these truths. They'll say, God, pre-select it. God, you, listen, if you're going to get saved, He's going to arrest you and make you get saved. And if He doesn't do that, you have no choice. That is a doctrine straight out of hell is what it is. And it's not part of the Bible. Listen to my Bible. My Bible says God is no respecter of persons. And the context about that is about salvation, Acts 10, 34. My Bible says God died for the sins of the whole world. How many of you know John 3, 16? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. God so loved the who? World. God, that whosoever. Guess what? Let me, let me define that word for you. Whosoever meaneth me. That's a good definition. Amen. Hey, listen, listen to this teaching. Listen, you say, preacher, get fired up on this. You doggone right, I do. First Timothy 2, 6, who gave himself a ransom for, what's that next word? All. All. It's all over the Bible. Listen to me. First John 2, 2, and he's the propitiation for our sins, but not our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. My Bible teaches God's not willing that any should perish, 2 Peter 3, 9, but that all should come to repentance. What does all mean in the Bible? And that is all that what? I'm telling you, you watch out, mark my words, this will be our biggest problem in our fundamental churches of this next century is this doctrine called Calvinism. And they'll take a Bible word, they'll hijack that word, they'll make it to say something it doesn't even mean, it just fit into their doctrine. 
1 Timothy 2.4, who will have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Can I tell you, God's will is for you and me and everybody that's ever lived to be saved. But He gives us a free choice. He gives us a free choice. Those aren't incompatible, by the way. If you were in Sunday school a few weeks ago, we did a joint Sunday school. And I taught a lesson, a needful lesson in my opinion, about how to identify false teachers and preachers. And one of the things I told you that they do is they take Bible words, use the same words you and I do. Oh, yeah, here's how you can say you got to repent. you got to trust in Jesus, death, burial, and resurrection. All right. Sometimes you got to stop and say, all right, what Jesus are you talking about? See, the Jesus of the Mormons is God's, is, it says that Jesus is Satan's brother. See, you just can't use terms. you got to define them. Y'all understand what I'm saying? You say, preacher, you sound like, no, I'm just trying to tell you the truth here. Amen. And they believe you can eventually become your own God. You'll have your own world become the Savior of it. Oh, they don't tell you that in their literature. They leave at your door, do they? you got to study a little bit. See, just because they said, yeah, I believe in Jesus, is it the right Jesus? That's a pretty fundamental question. And then, 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 then in the Calvinist case, and this, the, the verses we're talking about here, they'll take a word like elect and foreknowledge, and they'll redefine it to fit into their terms. Let me give you an example. For John, John 3.16, for God so loved the world, here's what they say. You can go read them. I, I hope you don't, but if you read after them, here's what they say. Well, the, the, word, the word world there really means the elect. See how they tied it back to their other word? And it really means that God didn't die for the whole world. It means he died for the ones he chose, and that's all he died for. You see how many clear verses of Scripture that goes against? Uh, It's the the individual. That's all he died for. The individuals he chose to go to heaven, and he chose to save. Everybody else is going to hell. That's what he... Ah, no. Quit reading commentaries. You know what a commentary is? It's some man's opinion. Look up a, get a concordance, look the word up. It comes from the Greek word cosmos. It means all of mankind what it means. Amen. You won't get there unless you're reading after these guys instead of reading your Bible. Whosoever, oh, we got to define that. Whosoever, that, that, that just means that's talking about the elect, only those he's pre-chose. No. Wrong. Comes from the Greek word pos. You want to know what it means? It means every, any, all, the whole, everyone, all things, everything. That pretty well defines it. Amen. You see what they do? Take good Bible words, hijack it, give it a different definition, and then because they're so intelligent, you we just follow them hook, line, and say, they know more than I do. I don't know, blah, blah, blah. Just read your, listen, get your theology from the Bible, not from men. Amen. And you'll stay right. And they take this word elected. That does mean selected and chose, yes. But you do a study on the word elect you're going to find out it never deals with individuals. It always deals with plural. Well, this is plural. Context. I'm trying to teach you. All right, we just have Sunday school for about two hours. Amen. Who does elect tie to in our verse? Look, get your Bible out. We'll use the Bible. Amen. They teach you this, you know, like you use a preposition or another name for something that ties back to something before. Y'all remember that in English class, right? Some of y'all failed English like I did. Amen. But, but you probably remember somebody saying something like that, right? When he uses the word elect, it ties back to verse 1. Who's the elect? The strangers. When there's an S on something, you know what that makes it? Y'all help me. Plural. See, y'all did good in English. Amen. And every other time you see the word elect in the Bible, you're going to find it's plural. In the Old Testament, he uses it talking about the Jews, the nation of Israel. In the New Testament, when he uses it, he's talking about the body of believers. He's talking about the church. He's not talking about an individual. See, when you get saved, here's what you become. You become part of the body of Christ. You become part of the elect. You individually are not the elect. I'm not the elect. I only became part of the elect when I got saved. I individually must choose Jesus Christ. Are you with me? Say you with me. Say amen. Yeah, you must individually choose Christ. But when I do, I become part of the corporate entity today known as the church. Praise God. I become part of the elect. But it was my choice. Now, let's keep going. There's another word. Everybody all right? We've got a ways to go. 
day. We might not even make this verse. It's singular. It's not singular. It's plural. It always is a corporate group, election. Study it in your Bible. Look it up every time. You'll find I'm right. Second word there. Look at this one. Foreknowledge. Wow, I gave you all kinds of stuff. Look at that. Look, everything I just said. There you go. The second word they like to hijack is this word foreknowledge. Foreknowledge simply means to know beforehand. All right? Everybody with me so far? Now, you get out of commentary. By the way, you read even after some good men on this one because they all follow each other. Commentators are like sheep. I'm serious. They are. One writes it and everybody else just follows right along and writes the same thing. I don't know how they all don't plagiarize each other because they just all write about the same thing. Oh, this dude wrote it. He was pretty smart. I'm going to write it too. No, just look up the word. Foreknowledge, here's what it means. To know beforehand. That's what it means. They'll say, oh, foreknowledge means a lot more than to know beforehand. No, it doesn't. Here's the word it comes from. It comes from the Greek word prognoskigo, or however you say it. We get a word from that in English that we pronounce it this way. Prognosis. You ever heard that word? You go to the doctor. And, and, and by the way, that prognisco literally means to know beforehand. If you go to a doctor, two things happen. First of all, you get a diagnosis. Everybody with me? Here's what's wrong with you. And if you go to a mental doctor, we'll get off that. Amen. But after he tells you what's wrong with you, then we usually ask the question, okay, what does that mean? Brady's got a hurt his shoulder, broke something in his shoulder this week in football. That's his diagnosis. You'll be praying for him. The prognosis is what happens next. What, what's, the, what's the recovery? What, what's going, how's it going to heal and, and, and things like that? Well, do we need surgery? Do, well, what is, and so that's the idea is here's what's going to happen. It's, it's predicting what's going to happen. It's telling us it's knowledge beforehand. Now, now a doctor don't always get that right. Amen. But I'm telling you, when God says something is foreknowledge, God knows everything. Listen to Psalm 139. He says, O Lord, Thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my downsitting, my uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compassest my path. My lying down are acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but, O Lord, Thou knowest it all together. Thou hast beset behind me and before and laid Thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, for it is, it is high and I cannot attain it. You say, what is that saying? It's just simple saying this. God knows everything we do. Everything we think, everywhere I go, everything I say, everything I will be, and everything I'm capable of. Let me just give you even a little more about God. See, his knowledge is perfect. Doctors are wrong. But, but when he prognoses something, it really happens. And let me tell you something else about God. Write this down. We won't look it up because I'm out of time. But First Samuel chapter 23. You ought to read that sometime. First Samuel chapter 23. David comes to God. And he asks God, he says, listen. He said, God, if I stay here in this town... Will the people tell King Saul on me? Y'all with me? And God says, yeah, they will. So David leaves. He said, I don't understand what you're saying, preacher. God not only knows everything I do, think, say, what I'll be, all this wonderful stuff. God even knows what would have happened if I made a different decision than the one I made. That is a God of foreknowledge. Are you with me? That's a God who truly knows. That is the definition of foreknowledge. He knows everything. He knows it before it happened. But write this down. This is so important. Get this concept. And we may not make it off God the Father, but foreknowledge is not causative. I, got, I, I couldn't figure out another way to say that, so I defined it underneath. That just means this. Because God knows everything doesn't mean he made it happen. How about that? Let me illustrate for you. Kevin, I've used this before, but Kevin, when he was young, I got that daddy duty. I got assigned, to, I don't know if mom was at work, maybe shopping or somewhere. And he's really young. I'm supposed to be taking care of him. Mistake number one. Amen. But I don't remember what happened. I think I got a phone call. And I went over to answer the call. I don't remember. Why wasn't I on a cell? Why would I even have a home phone? I mean, this is like in... I'm, I'm older, all right? We had times where we had lines hooked to our phones. But anyway, yeah. and, and I'm looking across the living room, and Kevin, a young little toddler, and he, he's crawling on the couch. I'm looking over there. Hooked to that phone. He's going to fall off that couch here in a moment. 
You ever had that thought? You just know it's going to happen, right? Now, I don't know like God knows. But in my own intuition, my own intellect, I foreknew he's going to fall off there. Guess what happens in just a few moments? Here he goes. And, and I'm not the fastest guy in the world. I didn't make it from the phone to there before he fell on his head. And that explains everything else. Amen. You know? <laughs> Listen, I could see it was going to happen. Have you ever been there? Saw something was going to happen? You could just tell it's getting ready to happen. Did you make it happen? That's foreknowledge. I got this cool little toy. I like cars. Now, this is one of those. Y'all ever seen those? This is one of those. If you pull backwards, watch what happens. It takes off forward. Isn't that cool? I always like that. I could play that the rest of the day. Now, y'all tell me. If I pull this backwards right here, what's going to happen? It's going to do what? Fall off what? Let's see. Y'all broke my car. I like that car. You say, that's ridiculous. We just knew it was going to happen. That's how ridiculous this teaching of Calvinism is. Just because God knows everything that will happen, everything will think, say, do, be, every event that's going to happen, he even knows what would happen if we chose differently, as we looked up in first, or I told you about, doesn't mean he made it happen. Foreknowledge is not, you're, you're with me saying, two important words to understand. We don't make it any past these words. you got to get this. God the Father has planned our salvation. He chose the group, which is the church today, the body of Christ, that he foreknew was going to choose him. There's another word, predestination. We ain't going to get into all that, but just let me just tell you this. When you read the word predestination in your Bible, it has nothing to do with salvation. Write this down. Look it up on your own. Romans 8, 29. For whom he did for no, he did also predestine. What did he predestine do to be saved? No, it says to be conformed into his image. Predestination has to do with our sanctification, not our salvation. It comes, has to do with us becoming more like Christ once we are part of the elect and saved. It has not a word in the Bible to do with salvation. Say amen. Make sure you with I know there are three big words. You say, preacher, you're bored. You've got to get this. You say, why is this so important? Because they're everywhere. And they're teaching you have no choice. And you did it, whether you know it or not. Have you said or heard this? Most of you probably said it. What will be, will be. That's determinism. That is straight out of the pit of hell. Prayer changes things. Y'all believe that? You can't believe both those statements. Are you with me? Well, God's already... You don't think prayer can change things? You can't believe both. You see the point? It's gotten into us. Even we don't even realize it's gotten into us. God the Father planned it. Write this down. We'll go fast. God the Son paid for our salvation. Amen. God the Father paid for it, or planned it. God the Son paid for it. Look at verse number 2 again. Back in your, your text there, the Bible says this. It says, uh, through sanctification of the Spirit, we'll get to that in a moment, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. Listen, I'm going to just tell you this. You can't have the gospel without the blood. Amen. Hey, there was a payment required for our debt. That payment, the Bible says, for the wages of sin is death. An eternal separation from Jesus Christ is what the word means. And, and that payment had to be paid. It'll be paid by you if you reject Jesus Christ when he cast you into the lake of fire. Or it can be paid by Jesus if you repent and believe in him. He came to pay that debt for us. And, and, but the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is, is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And 1 Peter 2 and verse 24. Who, who bear his own, uh, bear our, his own self, bear our sins in his body on the tree, that we, being dead to sin, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye are healed. This is the way. Listen, God the Son had a plan for salvation, or executed God the Father's plan for salvation by paying for it with his shed 
blood, with through his death, burial, and resurrection. Uh, Titus said it this way, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us or buy us back from the slave market of sin, from all iniquity. What did he buy us with? First Peter chapter 1, verse 18, for as much as you know you are not redeemed with corruptible things, such as silver and gold, from your vain conversation received from the tradition of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. We're living in a day, can I tell you, where preachers don't preach blood anymore. Hey, listen, we're pre- living in a day where songwriters and song and songs don't sing about the blood anymore. You hear me and hear me well. You cannot sing about it if you don't want to, and preachers don't have to preach about it. But you'll never get saved apart from the blood of Jesus Christ. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Can I just tell you this? My Bible says, obedience and sprinkling of the blood, Jesus Christ, grace be unto you, peace be multiplied. There is a fountain filled with blood, drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunged beneath that flow lose all their guilty sins. Hey, listen, what can wash away my sin? It ain't the baptistry. It is nothing but the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. Listen, God the Father planted, God the Son paid for it, and God the Holy Spirit produces it. Get your Bible flipping fingers ready. We'll look up three. I gave you stuff up there. I don't know why I put all that up there when I'm going to preach and I ain't going to pay attention to it. Amen. He preaches. God the Holy Spirit produces it. Flip with me to John chapter 16. I'll get you over there so you don't flip too much. The God of our salvation. God the Father planned. God the Son paid for it. God the Holy Spirit produced it. I even called it this, pursued it. I got about 18 P words on my paper. <laughs> I went with produce. One, one person said it this way. God the Father fought it. God the Son bought it. And God the Holy Spirit wrought it. That's pretty good, baby. You say, how does the Holy Spirit have a part in this? Well, notice back in our text, you've already flipped, but through the sanctification of the Spirit. Now, sanctification usually means cleaning up. In that context, he's dealing with salvation. He's talking about, listen, it's part of our salvation. I was positionally sanctified the day I trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior, gotten dwelt by the Spirit of God. And by the way, he's in there until the day of redemption. Amen. Positionally, I was sanctified. That's what it's talking about there. How did it happen? What is the Holy Spirit's role in salvation? We understand the Father thought it. We understand that the Son bought it. We understand the Father planned it and that the Son paid for it. But what is the Holy Spirit's role? Well, listen to how He produces it. John 16, and read with me, verse number 7. John 16 and verse number 7. The Bible tells us this. It says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, Jesus says, it is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come. Who's that Comforter? That's the Holy Spirit. He will not come unto you, but if I depart, I will send Him unto you. And when He has come, He will reprove the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. Of sin because they believe not on me. Of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. What is the Holy Spirit's role? Number one, it's conviction. He said he will reprove us of sin. Can I just tell you this? Anybody that preaches a gospel that doesn't tell you that we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God is not preaching the entire gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen, I understand the gospel is the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But why do you need to trust that? Because we're sinners. And you want to know who reveals that to us, who convicts us of that sin, who reproves us of that sin, whose role it is to do that? It is the Holy Spirit of God. God the Father planned it. Jesus Christ paid for it. But the Holy Spirit produces it. And He does it by, number one, convicting us that we're sinners. Then He goes on a little further. He not only convicts us, but He convinces us that we're sinners. You're still in John, right? John 16. Look here in verse 12 with me. The Bible says, I have yet, Jesus talking, many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. Howbeit when he, who's he talking about? The Spirit of God. The Spirit of truth has come. He will guide you into all truth. What's he doing? He's convincing us of truth. Let me tell you, if you're here without Christ today, and right now, in your heart and in your soul, there's something you don't understand it. There's just... It's the Holy Spirit of God convicting you. You're lost. You're a sinner that needs Jesus, just like every one of us is. 
And he's convincing you what that preacher's saying right now is true. It's right there in the Word of God. Listen to it. And he's teaching you truth right now. And he's saying this. He's, he's saying this. I'll guide you into all truth. Can I just throw this last part in? It's free for you today. Look at the next part of the verse. For you shall not speak of who? Can I just give you that for free today? You say, what does that mean? That means they don't run around clucking like chickens. The Holy Ghost, Holy Ghost, Holy Ghost. The Holy Spirit never speaks of himself. You got that from the Bible? In fact, John 15, verse 26, he said this, But when the Comforter has come, who I shall send, Jesus said, from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceeded from the Father, he shall testify of me, Jesus said. You want to know how you discern a false spirit from a real spirit? If it's the Holy Spirit or if it's the devil's spirit, it's just simply that. Which spirit, who are they pointing you to? If it's all about the Holy Spirit, it ain't about Jesus, because the Holy Spirit, my Bible says, points you to Jesus. We'll just hit that one while we're there. Amen. This is false proving rebuking day. Amen. He convinces us. He comes and he teaches us. He shows us. He convicts us. And then he convinces us of this fact. It's all about Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but by him. There's no other name given under heaven whereby we must be saved but at the name of Jesus Christ. It ain't your good works. It ain't, it ain't any of that. It's by grace are we saved through faith, not of works. It's a gift of God lest any man should boast. Amen. It's all about God. God. God of our salvation. God the Father planned it. God the Son paid for it. God the Holy Spirit produces it. And lastly, He does this. He consecrates it. Amen. Flip one last time and we're done. I'm not just being Paul on you and saying, brethren, finally, brethren, I'm serious. We're about done. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. big list, and I'm not going to find the list. We've done that many times. And that's the purpose of the message. The purpose of the message is to show you what we were. Amen. And all of us are in this list one way or another. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse number 9. But I want to show you how what the Holy Spirit does. The moment we get washed, the moment we get saved, we get positionally sanctified. He says, no you're not in verse number 9. That the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Boy, if I just read that, I'd say, oh, man, am I doomed. And yes, yes, you are without Christ. But praise God for verse number 11. And such, no, this is the key word, were some of you. You know what were is? Back to our English lesson. Remember, S means plural. Were means what? Past. So I wasn't. Let me just throw this in for free, too. I'm getting a lot of stuff thrown in for free. That's why I don't stand up when I go to a meeting and say, I'm an alcoholic. Such were some of you. There's no victory in that. I got a disease. No, you got a you got a sin problem that's addiction in your life. And if you get right with God, not only in salvation, but learning how to walk filled with the Spirit and and, and, and walk in the Spirit, you can have victory over that thing. Such were some of you. It's in the list. Y'all see it? Told you I was free. And such were some of you. What happened? Read it. But you're washed. What am I washed in? Not the water, but blood. Of Jesus Christ. And then what else happened? Ye were, what's that next word? Sanctified. Set apart is what it means. But you're justified in the name of Jesus Christ. It's always about Him, Lord Jesus. And by who? Who did it? By the Spirit of our God. He consecrates us. Positionally, the moment I repent it. 
and believe the gospel that Jesus Christ died for my sins, was very rose again for my sins. That moment I got saved. I was positionally sanctified. I was washed in the blood. I was put into the body of Christ. I was I was made a uh, I was I was pulled out of the slave market of sin, redeemed, justified, all those big old words. All of them happened that moment. Praise God. Because the God of our salvation did it all. God the Father. He planned it. God the Son, He paid for it. And God the Holy Spirit produced it. Through His conviction, His convincing, and His consecration. Bought it, bought it, sold it, and wrought it. Amen. It's all about God. What's our part then, preacher? It's all about God. We don't have to do any work. Jesus just said it this way. Repent ye. That seems to change my mind. That's not a word. Repent ye and believe the gospel. That's your part. Repent ye and believe the gospel. Change my mind. Agree with God that I'm a sinner. Agree with God that Jesus Christ is my Savior. That He died for me, was buried, and rose again. And by grace through faith, receive the free gift. God the Father planned, that God the Son paid for, that God the Holy Spirit provided. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for these wonderful truths, these wonderful Bible words, Lord. And you said that, Lord, that, that time would come, that there would be teachers having itching ears, and there would be false teachers that. Lord, they, they like to take good Bible words, redefine them to what you never meant for them to be. They have to because it doesn't fit their theology if you just use the simple definition of the word that you gave under the inspiration of God to the man that you used to write the book we just read. God, thank you for how being the God of our salvation. Thank you today that I can stand here and say, not only am I saved, but I'm sealed. I'm on my way to heaven. Not because of anything I've done, but because of what the whole God did. The great three in one of my salvation did for me. Lord, you just showed me that truth. I changed my mind. And I believed. And by faith, I received. And Father, if there's one in this room that's never by faith received Jesus Christ as their Savior, never executed your plan of salvation, never realized that His shed blood paid for their sin debt. And the Holy Spirit of God is showing them right now, convincing them and convicting them that they need to get their eternity saved. That they're relying maybe on church membership. They're relying on good works. They're relying on anything other than the God of our salvation. Father, then today my prayer is during this invitation. They'll get their eternity saved. Have your will and way, I pray in Christ's name. Amen. If everyone would stand with heads bowed and eyes closed all over the room. Christians, let me just say this to you for just one second. Those of you that know and have a good Bible reason why you're on your way to heaven. Because not of anything you've done because you've relied on the God of our salvation. If all we had in the world was verse 2 of 1 Peter chapter 1, that's all we could read every single day. we got enough reasons to praise Him for an eternity. The whole God did. The great three in one who wrought our salvation. Have you praised Him for your salvation recently? I know the world gets busy. I know there's suffering and trials, and I, I understand that, and you're going through it, and so were they. And Peter said to this group, under the inspiration of God, he said, just get back to the basics. You need to be encouraged. You need to be hoped. Remember how you were saved in the first place. Remember the God of your salvation. Some of you just need to maybe come thank him today just for your salvation. Nothing else, just come thank him and praise him. Because indeed, as they say, I have been blessed. But maybe you're here today and you could say, listen, I'm not sure heaven's my home. 
I don't even think you could know that. And some people think you can. Can I remind you of 1 John 5, 13, still in the Bible? These things I write unto you that you may know that you have eternal life. How can I know? Because I didn't do anything to do it. I just changed my mind and believed that Jesus had died for me, was buried, rose again for me. And by faith, I received that free gift from the God, from the God of my salvation. If you haven't done that today, I invite you right now, right where you're standing. Romans 10, 9 tells us exactly how to, how to process that, to manifest that in our lives. He said that if thou, that you shall confess with thy mouth, that word confess means agree with God, that Jesus is Lord, and believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Not might be, not I hope so, not until I mess up again. Thou shalt be saved. Done deal. If you've never done that, right now, during this invitation, you call upon his name. You ask God to save your soul. You trust in Jesus and Jesus alone. His shed blood, his death, burial, and resurrection. And he'll save your very soul this morning. I'm going to be right down front as they sing. You need Jesus, you come. I'd sure love to take that Bible and answer any question you got. Maybe you just need to come praising for the salvation you already have. The God of our salvation. A fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's face. God never does another thing for you. And see your life other than saying your wretched soul. Oh, we got nothing to for eternity. Now, he doesn't stop there, praise God. But if that's all he does, other gift he their guilty stains sinners plunge beneath that flood the dying thief rejoice to see that fountain in his and there may I, though vile as he, you've gotten caught up in what will be, will be. My sins away. They're getting to you. Wash they're getting to you. See how it kind of starts to come in. God certainly knew everything that happened in your life, but He didn't call it off. May I wash all my sins away? Ere since by faith I saw the streams, thy flowing wounds supply, redeeming love has been my theme. And shall be till I die. And shall be till I die. And shall be till I die. Redeeming love has been my thing. And shall be till I die. Good to be in the house of God today. Amen. Sorry, I know that was pretty doctrinal, but let me tell you, as our ushers get ready to take up this love offering for our missions team and this this brand new church plant in Big Timber, Montana, it's truths like these, Bible truths, that are getting hijacked by all kinds of different belief systems. The reason we need more Bible teaching, Bible preaching churches all over this world. And I am firmly behind, 100% behind, committed to backing Brother Trevor Martin and his wife Tori as they go plant this church. Because he may not preach it in the exact same way, but he'll preach the exact same truth. 
you're hearing today. Father, would you just use whatever folks are led to give here. Lord, and bless them for it. To be a part of this brand new church plant. Lord, in Big Timber, Montana. Lord, I do pray in advance you would bless our team. You'd bless our week. And that, Lord, everything we do and say and, and participate in that will bring glory unto you. Prepare this local, brand new Bible preaching church. In a town where the, the only other church is called Suds and Hymns. Where they come together and they drink beer and sing hymns. What a great need there is. God, use our people, I pray. Lord, you said that, Paul said, I, I don't desire a gift for me. I just desire it so that fruit may abound to our account. For those who give today, Lord. Those who even want to give in the future but maybe can't today, Lord. Would you just have them obey whatever you lay laying on their heart. And Lord, my prayer is there would, that fruit of every soul that gets saved through this church and the churches to start after it, Lord that it would be on their account. Thank you for our faithful church and our faithful giving. Thank you for allowing us to be a part of this brand new work. And would you bless it? Would you raise it up for the glory of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. just share this and we'll ask Brother Danny to close us in prayer. If today you wanted to give and you just didn't have it or couldn't for whatever reason today but you said, said God laid on my heart to be a part of this, just the next week or the weeks to come, write on the envelope for Montana Mission Trip. We'll make sure that's what it goes to. God bless you. Thank you for being here. Brother Danny, close us in prayer please.